This week, I had tons of fun having a conversation with former AFL professional footy player and now world stand-up paddle surf tour rider Dave Muir. Dave tells of his journey through the ranks from Claremont Colts through to playing for Fremantle Dockers in their first two years. He then tells how 10 years later he got another chance at top flight competition with an invitation to go to the stand-up world contenders tour in Tahiti where he placed second. Since then he's gone on to be one of the longest competing riders and has surfed locations such as Chopu in Tahiti where he's won and also sunsets at Hawaii. I loved his phrase about any wave of consequence you just can't hesitate on. You can't help but be drawn in by this larger-than-life, laid-back, proud West Aussie who has a massive heart and is amazingly grateful for every opportunity that life has presented to him. There's much to learn from appreciating and capitalising on every opportunity you get. And there's a lot of really fun stories chucked in there as well. So enjoy, Dave. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Life as an athlete is what we're going to dive into today with my guest, Dave Muir. Growing up in Netherlands, Dave played local footy, starting out playing for Claremont Colts, where he won best and fairest. He then went on to play reserves and then the year after played league. He was drafted to the Eagles, then North Melbourne, and then he played the first two years for the Fremantle Dockers. In the background, Dave surfed his whole life. And in 2009, at the age of 38, Dave was invited to the stand-up World Contenders Tour. He came second in Tahiti, then in 2010 he went back to Tahiti and won it. Since then, Dave has continued to compete on the World Tour. Dave, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you, mate? <laughs> Good morning. It's afternoon. <laughs> there you go. So as I said at the start, and it's one of the questions I always ask my guest, is because it's called WA Real, um, you grew up here in Western Australia, not yep. all of us did, in yep. Netherlands. Tell me, what was it like growing up in WA and what are some of your fondest memories of growing up here? Well, I sort of grew up, I had uh, two older brothers and an older sister, so I was the youngest, so um, I was just pretty much trying to keep up with them most of my life. I went to, first, for my first three years I went to Dalkeith Primary and then in year four I went to Trinity College from years four to year 10 and then went to John 23rd from following year so I actually repeated year 10 which um which is probably a bit of a waste of time <laughs> <laughs> but it was good because I met a lot of crew around my area so yeah. that was a good part um probably wasn't the best thing for my schooling but um it was it was yeah it was good fun nonetheless yeah yeah and um are you uh, passionate about being a West Aussie or do you see yourself as being an Australian? As, uh, yeah, no, a West Aussie for sure. Um, always, you know, when I go away, fly the uh, West Aussie flag. I mean, I'm proud to be Australian, but I think, um, yeah, the West Aussies, we've got a, we're sort of, sort of, we're sort of a country in our own, aren't we, over yeah, here? But, true. Um, <laughs> but, mate, I love Western Australia. It's great. It's, um, you know, the coastline's unbelievable and it's, you know, there's, if you want to get away from the crowds, you can. You just have it's to that easy, travel. It? Yeah, that's it, mate. We're pretty lucky here in the West. Very. Yeah. So were you doing, uh, how old were you when you first started, sort of started surfing and stuff? Um, mate, I was a kid. I, uh, yeah, I was, mate, when I was younger, um, I did a lot of swimming. Myself and my brothers, we, we swam a lot. Yeah, um, John, my oldest brother, I think he's done, is it eight or nine? Solo Serato, as wow. we were talking about the Rottnest swim before. So, um, yeah, I've done a few. I've done mainly in teams. I've done one solo, which almost killed me. But, um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, as you know, and that's probably one of our biggest sporting events all year, the Rotto yeah. Swim. If you haven't seen it or participated in it, you really got to get down there one morning and see the boats all go off from oh, Rotoslow because it's just a, it's a spectacle, isn't it? With it all is. the lights and... Something else. Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. So, um, t- tell me about your rise from the Claremont Colts up to being in that first couple of years of the Fremantle Dockers. Yeah, um, well, look, I, see, at school, I just played, I loved sports. Sport was my thing. Um, probably not the brightest bloke in the world, but when it comes to catching a ball or something, you know, yeah. I was generally pretty good. But, uh, yeah, so um, I just participated in anything, you know, and... It was sort of when it was coming to the end of the schooling, like um, my mum's father, actually my mum comes from Geraldton, she's a clune, so her father is JJ Clune, um, right. and the the actual medal up there, the the um, district medal, it's called the JJ Clune, so he was a pretty good footballer, uh, and I think somebody in our family, you know, they wanted to be a footballer, and I think it was just me, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, yeah, it was, it was. I love footy. Don't get me wrong. Like, I loved the whole thing of you know chasing a ball and mates and team and you know what I mean. I just yeah. frothed on it. So, um, so I grew up playing Dalkeith Netherlands and then uh, made a couple of development squads with Claremont and then played for Hawks, which was an under fifteen sixteen combined side. Not a combined side, just our dis- uh, area. So. Claremont, Cottesloe, Nedlands. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, like we had a f- few good players go through. We had um, Tony Evans and mm. um, Ben Allen was another one. So we had some really good players go through there. And then I just, luckily, Tomsey, who was the coach, um, had an affiliation with Claremont Football Club and then got me a start with the Colts. Awesome. So I went down and trained with them the first year and, yeah, I loved it. Claremont was unreal, really good club. Yeah. Mm. Probably my um, my fondest memories of playing footy was Claremont because money wasn't involved then or if, you know, the money you got paid was really minimal. So you're yeah. out there for your mates and it was, you know, there was more feeling involved. Once it, once it turns professional and there's money involved, then, you know, it's all about, you know, fighting for your spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know... Are you going to put your head over? The, I mean, you are obviously, but it's when you're putting your head over the ball. When there's no money involved, you're doing it for your mate alongside you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's just all ladsy and rah rah, and yeah. get the game over and have a beer and tell each other how good you were. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> see how great I was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So how did you end up going from Clam on? On. Um, well, that's quite funny because I played the first year Colts and then second year reserves, and then my first year in league, um, I was actually Jared sort of was putting me in the guts, so I was having a pretty good year, and then sort of halfway through the year, I, I just couldn't run anymore, yeah. and um, and then so they just sat me on the sideline for the second half of the year, and then. Um, and then I tried to come back to the finals and didn't have the fitness, so I played reserves. The Colts won the flag in 91 and then the league won and then the Reds lost, so I sort of missed out in the fame and yeah. a medal that year. But um, but then I tried to come back the next year and 
it actually ended up I had a stress fracture in my navicular, which is in my foot. Yeah. So they bone graft my hip to my foot. And then so, yeah, I sort of missed out in 12 months of playing footy there. But in that first year, there were 10 drafted from Claremont that year. So it was the most people drafted out of yeah. any club ever. So that was... um. But unfortunately, I wasn't one of them. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, I'm just saying that's how much depth there was in that side, you know. Yeah. Like we had such a good team. And Claremont at that time, you know, um, was, you know, strongest in the comp. And yeah. Yeah, we won a few flags over that era. Yeah, well, they won the 91, 93, 96. Yeah. So... Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to play in the 93, 96, but yeah, missed out in the 91. But mate, it was just a, the um, the culture behind the club and the boys and just the feeling that everyone had for each other. And, you know, for Nisham as well. Like, Nisham was such a good coach and, yeah, top bloke. He's a great bloke, yeah. So you had the injury and then what happened to you? So and trained then, hard and came back. Yeah, and then halfway through the year sort of came back and then... Um, and then yeah, got picked up in. So I was a bit, I was a bit older then. How old was I? I was probably about twenty-three when I got picked up in the ninety-three draft. So um, and it was quite bizarre because I played for Hawks, you know, in juniors, and we all had our names. Like I was Crazy Chris Mew, War Number Two, and then yeah. we had. So everyone had their name and number, you know yeah. what I mean? So I. I and mate, until this day, the best grand final I've ever seen was the 1989 grand final between Hawks and Geelong. Yeah. So I sort of idolised Hawthorne. Yeah. And um, and then Alan Jeans came over and uh, he actually came to my parents' place and sat in my mum and dad's living room and we had a good chat and I told him how much I loved Hawthorne and everything else. And he goes, right, well, we'll pick you up later on in the draft, you know what I mean? But we'll definitely pick you up. I was like, you beauty. Yeah. And then... Um, and then the what was that e- like? Eagles, oh mate, well, I was hoping to be picked up by, and then the Eagles picked me up. So right. and and at the time, I I couldn't stand the Eagles because I was a Hawthorne <laughs> supporter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, when I say couldn't stand them, you know, they were a local team, and and you know, obviously, I knew a couple of guys there, and but I didn't want to play there. I wanted yeah. to go to Melbourne and uh, experience the whole Melbourne football footy scene. Thing. Yeah, because yeah, that's what you grow up. I mean, grew up watching the winners and. Um, and that show to me was like, I mean, you just hung out every Sunday to watch the winners. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, going to Melbourne, I was really hoping to do, but um, the Eagles picked me up. Yeah, in '93. So and then they won the flag in '92, '94. So you know they wanted me to play midfield, and they're the best midfield in the in the country. So good luck at getting a game. You know. And you didn't really, did you? Mm. No, I didn't. I got they dropped me off the list, and then I got picked up on North Melbourne and went to North Melbourne. Yeah, for the year, and then um, Jared come across halfway through the year and said he sort of got the job, and would I be interested in coming back? And I was like, absolutely. This was for that was when I was at North Melbourne. Yeah, to come back with when Fremantle. Yeah, Dockers started. Yeah. Yeah. So I come back and played was there it? in 95, 96. And what was that like to play for a brand new team? Oh, it was awesome, man. It was unreal. Was it much like back at Claremont? Yeah, look, there, and you know what, people ask me that, and and it was in a sense because we had a, f- you know, we had a um, a lot of Claremont players, next Claremont players there, and it was Nisham. Um, but it wasn't because Jared didn't have the full control of it. He had... Uh, 
you know, he had, you know, at Claremont, he just ran the whole show, whereas here, he had other people like assistant coaches. And, yeah. And it was professional, so he couldn't be as matey with the boys, and you know what I mean? Because, mm. yeah, we all, you know, at Claremont, you know, once the game was over, we were drinking beers and, and having a good time together. Whereas at that next level, he sort of had to, um, Keep yeah, distance. distance himself a bit. Yeah. yeah. He was the coach, and then, as, as it does when everything becomes more professional. What were some of the big things that you learned during that time playing footy? Um, wow, what did I learn? Um, well, you learnt how to keep fit. Yeah. And, um, and my, I had a big problem with um, soft tissue injury. I kept breaking down. So my, it's, the hardest thing is, and this is the thing, like, we were in the second year at Fremantle, we were the first full-time first club to go full time so right. we were there from 7 in the morning till 1 o'clock in the arvo and then we were back there from 4 o'clock in the arvo till 7.30 at night right you know so you were um, the first team to be doing that we were the first team in the AFL to do it right yep. and um, and mate it was hardcore you know like you just wanted to wanted you wanted the season to come around to play a game you know so um, you just yeah your whole life was devoted to footy and and that's what I was saying, like when you get injured to keep that positive frame of, of mind and just to rehabilitate your injury. Yeah. And keep focused and then it was really hard to yeah. keep that motivation, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and so for me what well, the biggest thing that I learnt was um, you know, how to keep your body in good nick and, and eating properly and because, and yeah, before that, um, I mean, diet obviously is a big thing, but just how much to load, you know, what, how, you know, what to eat and when to eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, how to peak, you know. Right. At, 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 you know, be the best on the day, because it didn't matter how well you, really you trained. But until you ran on the field for that game day, you wanted, you wanted your body to be at 100%. At its peak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also... So you learned how to do that. Yeah, and not sort of waste your energy mm. on certain things, you know. When you were a bit younger, you used to run around in circles to get the ball, whereas as you got a bit older, you had to get a bit more um, mm. a bit more streetwise, so to speak, you know, when to put your body on the line. And and that all came in too with um, having, you know, a bit of a different influence. Um, Neil Danaher there from Melbourne. And just, yeah, and different. And because the game... At that stage, um, the game that Jared was adopting to AFL is the game that they're playing today. Right. So back then in Melbourne, it was inside footy. All the grounds were really uh, wet and really muddy. Like mm. if you're on the side of the the G and you looked, you, you'd think that it was a beautiful grass pitch. But when you ran out over it, it was just mud. Right. So it didn't matter whether you had screw-ons or moulded soles you'd still you're slipping and sliding yeah it was just total mud you know what I mean so yeah. your legs became very heavy after a short period of running over there and um, and just changing direction you couldn't change direction fastly so it was a lot of inside footy yeah. a lot of handballing a lot of man on man hmm. and whereas what Jared was incorporating then was the chip and run and and run into space and open up, which is what um, 
football is today, which is, yeah, so he was a bit of ahead of his time. Right. And our style of footy wouldn't work in Melbourne because of the grounds we were playing on. Right. It wasn't, you know what I mean? They, they did over here with the faster, harder grounds. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then, um, so I remember when Alistair Clarkson, because I, I was actually fortunate enough to play with Clark over in the, um, at North Melbourne, the two side, he was sort of, um, t- his career was tapering off and I was sort of trying to break in, so I played a lot of twos with him. And um, and he actually came over and stayed with Jared for a couple of weeks. And when he won his first flag, they asked him, they said, oh, mate, where, where, you know, how you, where'd you find this new style of footy? And he goes, mate, we're not doing anything new. This is what Jared, um, you know, was trying to incorporate into the AFL few years back but you know his timing he was ahead of his time because of the grounds and yeah and also you know like now it's just it's an athlete it's the two people that are it's matchups you know what i mean yeah so the two guys playing on each other are pretty much similar in height yeah. weight and and their ability and all that so and that's why the interchange is used a lot because they just keep running and running you know what i mean like they, they run all day you know whereas back in our day you didn't have to be able to run all day you know Everyone with different sizes and heights and weights, yeah. and you know what I mean, which made the game a bit more exciting, I reckon. Mm. You know, so you played at um, Fremantle for two years. Yeah, how did that come to an end, mate? Well, as I said, I, I was getting uh, I had the highest soft t- tissue injury um, at Frio, so I kept breaking down. Plus. Mate, I was, you know, I didn't have the best skill level, so I think that let me down a bit. Um, and, yeah, mate, like I was sort of 27, going on 28, so they went with a couple of younger boys, you know, mm. so... Was that pretty hard? Um, what, to bow out at that stage? Yeah. Mate, you know what? I was actually, I was actually ready to go by yeah. that stage. I'm, looking back, in hindsight, I would have liked to play a lot more footy, um... And, you know, the way that I approached it back then was probably different to how I'd probably run it a bit now. I mean, I was more... Because, yeah, you know, I'd sort of go in and sort of knock people over a bit, so to speak, just to... Because yeah. um, that was my job, you know, just to go in there and... Get a bit physical. And, yeah, and sort of make people second guess, because when they second guess, it gives yeah. us another second, and then yeah. one of our boys it might spill out to them. And so that was sort of my role a bit, you know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, I mean, to get more of the ball would have been good fun. But, mm. uh, yeah, look, I was uh, at the same time, there's a lot of good players that never make it. So I was just, you know... Tough to have. I was happy been enough there, to seen play. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Played 21 games and that was my number on my back. So there you go. Time to, time to bow out. Awesome. So it was, yeah. it was ten, ten years later before you ended up on the World Cup Tour. And yeah, we'll come start in a minute. What, what did you What did you do during the intervening ten years? Well, I did a lot of surfing. Yeah, I was ask you. <laughs> um, a mate of mine as well, who I played at Claremont with, Lance Shirak, was the coach down at um, at Margaret River Hawks. Yeah. So he said, "Look, mate, we'll give you a bit of cash if you come down." So I was earning some good money down there, and then I was working for Cadbury as a sales exec. So I was yeah. doing three or four days with them, and then doing three or four days down in Margaret's and going surfing. So, um, but yeah, but man, that was my passion growing up surfing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I went to the school with the Patterson brothers and uh, and sort of watching them and 
and thought they had a pretty good gig, you know what I mean, travelling around the world surfing and, and you know, I not that I was good enough ever to do it, but that's always sort of, if I, if I you know, dreamt of anything, being a pro surfer was probably one of them, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so once I'd finished football, as well, when you leave school, uh, you know, like a lot of people go into university and a lot of people do other things. So I did footy up until yeah. I was 27. So it was sort of like another school, you know yeah. what I mean? You got told what to do. You couldn't go out, you know what I mean? You couldn't go out on a Thursday night and yeah. anywhere because you get in trouble, you get fined, people see you. And then, um, so it was sort of, once I'd finished that at 27, I just wanted to go surfing and see the world a bit, you know? Yeah. So that's, um, so I played footy down there and, and um, just surfed our coastline a lot, you know what I mean, WA, and then, um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I did was just go surfing yeah. and work, yeah. When did you um, first ever go on a stand-up paddle then? Um, that was a couple of years before, so probably about 2007. So um, that's quite early at that point, there wasn't many around. No, there weren't, and being uh, living in Perth, um, yeah, all we've got is small waves. Like, yeah. I get over to Rottnest a bit and um, down south and up north where there are good waves. But when you, you know, like I was, you know, 35, sort of thing, 30, 36, and I put on a couple of kilos and the small waves weren't really exciting me. And then you got little kids doing little 360 airs next yeah. year and you just can't go away, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're making me feel old. And then a couple of my mates were doing it down south and they said, Dave, you need to get one of these. It's all, you know, get you back in the water and, you know, get you frothing again, get your fitness level up. And then when the good days come, jump back on the shoreboard. Mm. So I thought, well, that was a great idea. Did you get that? It's kind of interesting because it, it would have been, like nowadays you can go down and you can see stand-up paddles everywhere. That yeah. must have been quite a new thing. Did you get did you get much shit from other surfers at that point? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the boards we were riding back there too. Like my first board was a twelve foot lead, so it was like five what and a lead half, half yeah, yeah, five and a half inches thick, and Jeez. it was twelve foot long, you know, and thirty two <laughs> inches wide. So I mean, I don't know. And they didn't have liters back then, you know. Like now, yeah. as you know, all the boards are in literage. Yeah, they didn't have that back then, so. Um, so, yeah, we were just on these death machines, pretty much, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and the worst thing was, is if you pulled into a barrel and it, the the lip grabbed you by the head and threw you over, you were guaranteed of copping the board yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's a lot of board to Yeah, there's 12 foot of it. You yeah. couldn't get away from it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and if you tried to run forward and dive over the front, <laughs> your leg rope foam and stopped you. Like, the leg <laughs> rope wasn't long enough to get over the nose of the board, you know what I mean? Like, it was hard yeah. to find a... 12 foot leg rope back in those days so um so yeah look i mean and and being into your sport everyone was into us yeah a lot of people but to be honest with you when i was starting i didn't really surf around paddle around surfers you know yeah because uh a i didn't want to be that guy and b i didn't want to hurt anyone yeah you know so it's 12 foot yeah that's it strapped to you that's it exactly (laughs) So I've always been mindful of that when I'm with surfers is I don't want to go out and make enemies, you know, because yeah. it's the place I love being is in the water and we all go to the water to get away from our, you know, what's yeah. stressing us on land or it's our little getaway, you know. It is. And there's nothing so, worse than 
sit, sitting there or standing there and someone turns up and they've just brought their attitude from work out and it's just like oh, oh just, exactly just, yeah yeah put it back oh, put exactly. it back <laughs> <laughs> that's dead right so yeah. um so yeah. you, your mates get you into it mm. how do we go from there to an invite on the world tour um well I I I'd actually lost my licence at that stage so I was doing month on month off up in Port Hedland mm. uh, on a on the DN30 which was a support vessel for Leonardo da Vinci which was dredging out the harbour for BHB and, and Fortescue for berths up there so I was spending a lot of time in Indo mm. and uh, surfing um, Ulus a lot, getting some photos. And and then this one day, I was actually back here, I was down at Margaret River and it was absolutely pumping. And I looked out and saw there was no one out at the bombie. It was perfect and sort of 10, 12 foot. And I just paddled out. And um, the very first wave, I sort of, it, was, it wasn't one of the bigger ones that hit the inside and just. I just pulled up under it, and it was probably one of the best barrels I've ever had on a stand-up to date. And yeah. uh, just got barreled off my head, and then spat out, and then went back out and got a bit cocky on the on the next one, and faded the bottom turn. And as I'm bottom turning, the lip came over my head and landed oh. in, in the middle of my board and snapped oh. it. <laughs> so snapped it. No. Damn. And just went in, and there was um, a guy by the name of Scott McKercher in the car park who um. He said, oh, mate, it's a bummer. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I sort of recognised him, but I didn't really know Scotty too well at that stage. He was a windsurfer and, um, yeah, one of my sister's friends, Jane Seaman, who's a big windsurfer, she's sort of mates with him and um, sort of knew who he was because he'd won a world title windsurfing. Yeah. And then I got a phone call about a week later saying, um, and it was Harry, a mate who knew Scotty, and just said, "Was I interested in a new board?" And I was like, "Is this a trick question?" You know, yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you know, I haven't got a board. And then, um, and then, so I went down to Scotty's. He said, "Come down. I got nine demos there. You know, come down and pick one." So I went and picked one, and then I think I'd snapped that in the first week. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> "All right, come back." So I went back yeah. and got another one, and then um, it just went from there. And then he started giving us boards, and then. A few months later, um, I got a phone call saying, did I want to go to Tahiti to, um, you know, represent Australia and be on the international team for the first Contenders Tour, which was the Contenders Tour for the World Tour in Tahiti. And there was, yeah, a team of Hawaiians. Yeah. And then Tahitians and then four uh four of us made up the international team so there were 12 what was that like to receive that call um oh it was, you know i was like are you kidding yeah. Is it, <laughs> will how, i go how uh, how similar was that between that and then when you had the guy from hawk sitting in your mum and dad's oh yeah it was surreal <laughs> exactly that's it like you know what i mean like i mean alan jeans if anyone knows footy he's uh probably one of the best coaches ever to to coach, you know, yeah. and Hawthorne was such a, and mate, to me that was when footy was footy. So right for me growing up, like you know what I mean, I was idolising him. Yeah, so that for me, and well, mate, they're both pretty surreal because you know to go to represent your country over in in Chopin, especially going to Tahiti because um, that was yeah, that was like the heaviest wave on the planet at mm. that stage. You know, so it was just like 
wow yeah i'd love to go you know yeah but sort of do i really want to go <laughs> do you really want to go <laughs> so, so I, I, in researching for this i actually saw a little youtube clip i think when you just won the first two heats and uh you look pretty focused <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate no i look it's um and the thing was too like so leading up to that we had a we had a week there already mm. and there were no waves at all and the day before the swell arrived we rolled up there and because they're surfing all these other smaller breaks around and then mm. we went there the day before because the swell was hitting and then everyone's going right oh, let's go out get out there get out there and i was like oh i just looked at it it was like two three foot and it's just a dry reef basically yeah so the bigger it is the further it breaks off it so yeah you know the less chance obviously you got of hitting the bottom and and the boards back in the day when we started had big round noses and they just made me this one board which was 20 kilos heavy because they thought weight was the key yeah in those early days so uh you know copying that in the head really didn't interest me too much <laughs> and because to, uh chopo is such a barreling wave and steep wave that I just figured that all that board wasn't meant to fit in that little wave. Yeah. And then a guy by the name of Baptiste, who was the Oxbow team, team manager. Yeah. For, so he looked after lead. And, yeah. You know, a lot of good people when they went over there. Um, he was out there paddling the day before and he'd towed, you know, he towed the place at 20 foot and surf. He, he was really handy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he actually um, broke his neck and was paralysed. So that happened the day before. Right. We were meant to compete, you know what I mean? So it was like, whoa, you know. Hello. And exactly. <laughs> and this is a guy that's really experienced and, you Knows know what I mean? And, yeah. and I haven't even seen the place break properly or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was fretting a bit, but, um, but yeah, then the swell rolled up. So um, going into it, that was a pretty, pretty sad day. The day before the guy breaking his neck and, and it had a, had us all questioning ourselves whether it could be done and yeah and all the rest of it you know what I mean but um but yeah but then the next day came and it was a solid eight ten feet set it was as big as you could get before you had to start towing it you know yeah. what I mean and um and yeah mate it all happened all went down and no one got hurt um so it was yeah it was a pretty awesome day it was just good to be part of it you know yeah like um, so um, what was it like going from you know, you played at uh, you know highest level in a team event to now all of a sudden, you know, quite a big stage of a competition, but it's just Dave on his own. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? A lot of people ask me, "What's it compare like?" Well, it, it's nothing like it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, obviously, running out with your, you know, back in when I was playing, I was twenty one. Uh, your top 21 and it was you know you had your mates alongside you to razz you up um, and it was a team team game whereas this is yeah, obviously just myself you know yeah. so but mate I get as far as soon as just as like just pulling that rashy on similar to pulling yeah. your jumper on I get all fired up I get all you know what I mean like I'm the only West Aussie <laughs> there that's it yeah. game on you know game on. and because I'm a bit older than most of them you know so you want to try and keep the young fellas as honest as you can. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just let them know you're still there. There you go. Yeah. So, what, so what is it actually like going and surfing at Chopu then? Because I've oh, only ever seen videos of it. It's absolutely horrendously frightening. 
like it's the most it's for me it's the heaviest wave on the planet um it's just frightening it's so so it's how it operates is it's just a little bend on the reef and and you need a sour swell for it to wrap down it and then the last section of the wave they call the west bowl if it's got any west in it it just turns and and pinches so you can't come out so you're yeah. just saying oh here we go and then it starts going around the corner and won't let you out yeah so it's it's the heavy door like closes that and you're in oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're in big trouble but um but yeah it's just you just got to go that's the only you know it's like any any wave of consequence as soon as you hesitate that's when you're in trouble right you just want to get to the bottom of it if you can't get to the bottom of it you want to um you really want to be getting as much momentum going down the face as you can to try and get away from that lip on the head. I like that, any wave of consequence. You can't hesitate. <laughs> no, you definitely can't. No. Awesome. So you came second there. You must have been pretty stoked with that. Yeah, absolutely wrapped. Yeah. Did, um, did things change after that? Um, mate, they... Well, I got... Obviously, I got a... Um, well, it's actually quite heavy that first trip because the reason I actually got a bait starboard who I was with, um, yeah. their number one rider was a Kolo Kalama. Right. So he was Hawaiian. Yeah. And then he asked for a, a ridiculous lump of money and it was the first year of the tour. So Sven sort of went Hawaiian starboard said, no, nah, mate, we can't do that. And then Scotty rang me and little did I know that I was the one that was taking a Kolo spot. Right. So when they took me to Tahiti, um, they put me on a boat with four Hawaiians, and it was four Hawaiians and myself, and then I was the bloke that took Akolo, the main man's mm. sponsorship, you know what I mean? So it was fairly hostile. Really? It was, yeah, like in the end, I'd let them go surfing, and then they'd come in and I'd go out surfing. Right. You know, like it was pretty, yeah, they were just being... Were they quite that's, open and transparent about... Oh, know, mate, they were leaning on me the whole time, you know, and that's what they do, they, they just test you you know right and then i was like oh but i'm the only west aussie here i'm yeah. not going anywhere i've got, a background. I've got a background in football <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i don't think i really cared about that but yeah yeah so anyway and that was um and then what sort of broke the camel's back was we had a on one of the flat spell days we had a little um a competition between the three the Hawaiians, Tahitians and the international team and one was they had two big 42 foot cats and then one leg of it was to prone paddle around on a board yeah. lie down and then one was to um, stand up paddle and then it was uh, a swimming race as well so yeah. it was the three teams again at each other and then the fourth one was to dive down between two people they'd jump off the boat and dive down and the first person to grab a can of Hanano, which is their local beer there, yeah. they had under a shell and then bring back to the top one. Yeah. That so and then so they'd all been surfing for about three hours. They came in, I went out. Yeah. And I was about at it for about three hours and then come in and they said, Oh, well, we're gonna do this this little leg, you know yeah. what I mean? And I went, Oh, I was so knackered and then I just went, Oh, no worries and then so who do they put me up against? The colo to die for this can of beer, you know? So it was yeah. just on. <laughs> it was just and on. It was just like, we were just, it was like MMA underwater. We were just going, was it? oh, it was <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then 
He almost have his can on and I'd just hand him his can, I'd grab him by the feet and pull him up and kick him to the top and that we did that about three or four times. Until I thought I was, you know, and then I just gave up because I, I didn't had nothing left. And then I waited until he swam right down next to it, and then I grabbed him by the foot and kicked him up, and then got enough momentum off him to grab the can. So yeah, I sort of come up, you know what I mean? With it, and he was ten years younger than me as well, you know. So that was sort <laughs> of like it sort of quieted him down a bit after that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Cool. So, um, how long after that was it before you? left starboard and started riding the Indian Ocean Paddle Surfboard? Um, well, I was with uh, starboard for about five years. Yeah. And then... So you're um, now on the tour and you're going to all most of the, ev- all the events? Yeah, yeah, we're doing... Um, that's it. So starboard were really good to me. They, um, I mean, the only time you won money was when you won an event. So, But they, everything was covered. Um, yeah, your airfares, your accommodation, all your boards, and then they'd give you about 10 boards a year, which would be worth about three grand each. So you sort of, that's how you got your money, you sold mm. your boards, and that sort of yeah. propped you up a bit for the year, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and yeah, I'd sort of then, after five years, um, we were actually in the Caribbean, and the top 16 in the world got to go on the... Um, Location X tour, which was the British Virgin Islands. So, halfway through that, Starboard contacted me and said, "Oh, look, we're gonna uh, let you go." And I was actually already looking uh, for someone else because the boards that I was riding mm. were just so the demographic of the sport were mainly middle-aged men, right? Yeah. So the boards that they were making. And their main board was the Whopper, which is this big rounded nose yeah. thing. So all the boards I were riding weren't performance boards. And then they were making these, you know, pointy nose, little smaller boards for the younger kids. But as far as sales, those little boards for little kids weren't selling. The boards that were selling were for, for the big older blokes. Yeah, the So, yeah, that's it. So they yeah. were giving me the boards yeah. and sending me to places like Chopper, which was just... You know, yeah. these boards weren't made for the waves. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was my job to make them look like they work. But as far as me competing against them, I couldn't compete against them on these boards. Right. So they weren't making me the boards. You know, so I was getting fed up at the stage, whereas, you know, I mean, it was all good fun of that, but I actually wanted to see if I could win another comp. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and, and be competitive, it. you know? So. Um, to Marshall, who was my, my parents live in Netherlands and then the local, the Captain Sterling shopping centre, there's a fish and chip shop. Yeah. A guy there called Marshall, he owned it and he started doing paddle boards and then I'd go in there and say, oh mate, when are you going to come and, you know, surf me? And I was going, oh, I'd think to myself, why the hell would I go to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, and then in the end I just went down and said, well, what are you, are you going to make me a board that I want to ride? He said, mate, we'll make you whatever you want. And then, um. Yeah, so he sent me uh, the first board he made for me. It was at Sunset Beach. And, um, and I think on the biggest day, or the last heat of the day, I was up against Kai Lenny, who's he's pretty much the best waterman in the world. Like He's he's top five in five, four or five different disciplines in yeah. the world, like windsurfing and all that. So he's the man, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I had Just, Justin Holland, who's a... Um, Queenslander, and then I was on my brand new Indian Ocean, and then um, I actually managed to 
I got a 7.6 and then a 9.17, so I ended up winning the heat, you know, yeah. on this new board. So, mate, we were pretty happy that um, yeah. that the boards were working and and that it was actually pumping, you know, because when, like, when the waves are good, I'm, I'm sort of got a little bit of a, sh- a shot against everyone or I've got a pretty good chance, but when yeah. the waves are small, it's... Um, Hard work. Yeah, it is, and... Yeah, and the kids are a lot more ag- agile on that. But, um, kids, I <laughs> <yeah>. love that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that was awesome. You know, it was it was a big, you know, fist pump for Marshall and myself that, firstly, he could produce a board that would be competitive, and yeah, and that I was that I'd, you know, I'd actually come back with my local fish and chip shop gone, and we're beating you know the best brands in the world. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. But um, yeah, but then the next time I come back, I got knocked out in the quarterfinals, I think. So it was, um, that was a bit disappointing. But um, it had backed off, and yeah. I'd only, I actually only went over with one board because that was, uh, that's all the time we had to make it, you know. Yeah. So I was on a. And how's that progressed since? Oh, mate, the boards are just like, and even the ones now. Um, yeah, they're, they're like, I just snapped one. Uh, recently on, on the really big swell we had and that board was the best board it's like I was on a surfboard it's the yeah. best board I've ever ridden so they're going the rails are getting really low yeah. and um, and it's all just figuring out how, ma- how many and the different well this is the different constructions as well so the epoxy gives you more flotation yeah so you got to figure out you know like when you're pretty good or when you're good at the top level, you're generally about a liter a kilo. That's that's yes. the ratio. But with these epoxies, you can have like five or six liters less. Right. So um, we're just getting to the stage where we're just really fine tuning um, the amount of liters you have, and just the specific rail rails. Yeah, like was as I said, really low rails the whole way through the board. Um, and yeah, because with a paddleboard too, as soon as you really want to turn a board, you need a nice, refined, tight, pulled-in tail. Yeah. But with stand-up paddle, you can't have it too small because then the board starts rolling and it becomes really unstable. Yeah. So it's a really You're fine line to getting one that turns and works. As and well as you can stand on it. Yeah, because you gotta you got to actually catch the wave. Like you when can you get can, out there. Yeah, that's it, exactly. <laughs> but when you're competing, that's the hardest thing because... You still got to have that agility to see a wave and and run and beat a guy to the wave. So yeah, you can't go too small because then they just paddle circles around you. Yeah. So it's a really it's a real yeah, fine line. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's quite as much as Formula One, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's on that. It's getting there. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, checked a uh, I checked a message to Marshall the other day, telling him that I was going to do a podcast with you, and all he said was. Um, get Dave to tell a story about when he had to pick someone up on the way back from Rottnest. <laughs> pick someone up for I don't know. Oh, good on you, Marshall. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was um. Yeah, look, um, what had happened was I was um, I'd found this guy down by the he was running by the name of John Geordie and he was making boats, Sea Vision boats down in O'Connor, so. I actually, a mate of mine came to me and said, oh, look, could you, because I already had a, a little south wind and, you know, I knew a bit about boats. He said, can you come down and have a look at this boat? I said, no worries. So I'd put down a, a deposit on one of these things before him because I liked them so much. And then I ended up selling them for him. 
but um, he actually modified the console for me. So he made it smaller, which with a center console, your um, cable throttles go inside of your console through the floor of your hull. Yeah. And then, you know, if you get water on the deck, it's a self-draining deck, you know? Whereas my cables were going on the outside of my console straight into the floor of my hull. And I thought that was watertight, but it was letting water in. So anyway, we had a mishap on the way back and he fell over and we were we were sort of about halfway back and it was about five in the arvo and we'd surfed at Stricko's and went to the pub, pub for a couple of beers and uh, then tried to catch a couple of squid and then on the way back we just sort of stopped to to get all our um, get all the rods realigned and the boards and then I gave him a bit of a nudge and he ended up going backwards, hit the control, snapped it off, ended up in the water. And then, um, so for about half an hour, I was trying to, because it was so deep, you know, I couldn't throw an anchor. Uh, it was about 30, doing about, it was, the wind was about 35 knots, so it just kept me pushing myself further away from my mate. I couldn't turn the boat right, into the great. ocean, you know what I mean? I, yeah. If I turned it off, I couldn't get it going again. So I thought, well, the best thing is I'd swim in my board, so I paddled the board up to him. And gave it to him. And then it took me about half an hour to. So by the time I got to him too, he um he was wearing my Mistral spray jacket, which I'd been given by my girlfriend for my birthday. So he didn't want to take that off, and he was a big boy because he didn't want to lose it. So he was treading water for about half an hour with this thing on, with a couple of jugs in him. So by the time. I'd gotten to him, he's half dead, you know what I mean? I said, take the jacket off, buddy. And he just lay there on the board, just getting his, um, getting, you know, his breath back sort of thing. And then, so I had to catch the boat again. So it took me about half an hour to catch up to the boat. And then I couldn't get on the thing because it just kept running away from me. So I had to swim in front of it and then let the thing run me over and grab it. <laughs> and slide down the side of the hull. And then get on the boat, and then as soon as I got on the boat and went to walk up the side, it, because it had a dual walk-through transom, the waves were just going straight over the back, and it was just filling my hull up. Right. So I just started sinking, like going tail first. <laughs> so I'm running up the side of it, and then grab the other side of the gunnel, and it's flipped over on top of me, and then started submerging. I'm amongst rods and board bags, and I'm just like freaking out, and I just waited for it to stop sinking, and then it caught a you know air pocket and then started coming back up so I knew that was my break and then I got out of there and come up and then I'm looking for my mate going where's Simon and then thought well, what do I do you know what I mean like I'm the boat's about a foot and a half underwater and I thought oh, shit jeepers I think the thing might sink and so anyway I thought well the best thing is to go back down and grab my board you know so at least I've got something to lie on so I went back down and pulled my board out and it had a board bag on, so I was pulling that out of the board bag and then two leashes came out at me. I thought, well, I'll grab them. And then, you know, they tell you not to go away from your boat, but I was more worried about my mate, do you know what I mean? So I paddled back up into the into the breeze and uh, it took me about another half an hour to catch him. And by this stage it was, you know, getting on dark and <laughs> he's still lying on his board just puffing and panting, so... I put a leg rope over his head, sort of under his arms, and pulled that tight. Then attached that to a leg, the other leg rope, and then put that one on my leg. So then I swung with the southwest, and I'd get a run up, and I'd start sort of body, you know, on my surfboard, start sort of body surfing down it, and then it'd 
the leg ropes would go tight and then it'd pull him. So he sort of bungeed back yeah. towards the coast, you know what I mean? And then, um, and then about a kilometre or a kilometre and a half off, yeah. at about 11.30 at night, it decided to turn offshore. So it blew, blew straight into us. And I was, by that stage, I was just like, Dolty, mate, you're going to paddle your own, you know what I mean, from here, because it was <laughs> yeah. just too much. And then, um, and then, so he grew up in Swanbourne. So we ended up in between uh, the Swanbourne, where the surf club is, and City Beach. And then we came into the beach, and there was like this, it was like a, a, a toilet, like a, an outhouse, yeah. except with no door, door on it. Oh, it was really bizarre. And I said to Dolph, I said, mate, have you seen that before? And he goes, nah. So I'd figured, well, because you know, cause he'd surfed, grown up surfing there his whole life down at Nudie. So it was a, that's where you know, we used to surf a bit. And he, he grew up there, so I thought, well, we must be closer to City Beach. And then um, at about 11.30 at night, I was freezing. I said, look, mate, I'm going to start jogging down there you know you start walking and then uh yeah so i started jogging down and he walked back and then um well, yeah, I, the boat. well I thought that it had sunk so um and the worst part was i hadn't um i hadn't put a hin number on it or i had no numbers on it or anything so i thought it sunk you know so i didn't end up you know reporting it or anything I thought it was on the bottom and mate, we didn't get home until probably two o'clock that night and I slept and then a fisherman was coming out from Hillary's and um, and almost ran it over so it had actually caught an airlock in there yeah. and with the foam in it it actually it had just stayed yeah so it was pretty good I mean and the stupid thing was it was a really good lesson because I didn't have it insured or anything so um, and then the guy towed it in and then they pulled it out. So I got the boat back and, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing. But the main thing was that my mate was all right, you know, yeah. that would have been my big one. I mean, if I'd lost my mate then, yeah, you know, but at the end of the day, if you lose your boat from being a clown, then that's all right. It's a life it? lesson. That's it. There you go. Yeah. So how have you, like through footy and many years being on, on the surf tour how have you managed to keep yourself in shape well look mate I've sort of let myself go there for a little bit um, but the good thing is with and that's the thing like I mean I was doing about five or six trips a year but I was still working do you know what I mean so um, I didn't I was you know doing month on month off on a boat so keeping my fitness level was quite hard but these boards um you don't need to be super overly fit, you know what I mean? No, I mean, you do, but um, you can still sort of pull it off and you've got water safety there to help you out if, if you did knock yourself out. That's yeah. the best thing that I like about it, I mean. Would I go to, um, you know I mean? Surfing chopo and places like this in Sunset on a stand-up. It's nice to know you've got a, uh, someone there that's going to pull you out if you do. Yeah, if you get... Get in big trouble, yeah. you know what I mean? So... It's about um, how you, you won't want to swim to a rotten nest. Well, some people do do it, and I've got friends who do it, but I, I, I don't mind swimming to rotten nest on the rotten nest swim day because, you know, you've got all the kit there to look after you. Yeah, so absolutely. So it must be the same. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. So, um, and like I was swimming laps up there in the pool, um, and I've always had a pretty good base fitness and I've always been pretty good with the water. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that sort of... 
I mean, it would have. I would have loved to have had a crack at it with full sponsorship and and being with like you know, because half the guys do that. Um, that's all they do. They just compete and get money and just go paddling every day. But mm. I sort of I haven't had that luxury. Mm. But um, but at the same time, mate, I was you know I was, I'm just stoked to have you know been given the opportunity. Yeah. As you know, as a lot of people don't get the chance. So yeah. for me, at thirty eight to get a chance, it was like, well, here we go. And um, and yeah, mate. And even today, um, you know, I'm sort of the only one still there that is competing right from the start. So I sort of, I think it's what I'm up to my eighth year. So I'd like to, I'd like to just. I mean, I'll only do the the bigger wave events. Um, I'd like to get to ten years, and then, yeah. And just so, yeah, that's my personal goal. That's what I've yeah. sort of um, said to myself. And if I can do that, I'll be really happy. Ten years and get back on the podium. And then, well, mate, that would... Hey, wouldn't that be awesome? But yeah. I'm a realist. I mean, <laughs> oh. look at me, I'm 47, but... There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that would just be the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, mate, just to roll up and be competitive, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just to, you know... You just get to go to those great places and ride those waves and stuff. Yeah, oh, mate. No, I mean, who gets, you know, who gets to go to Tahiti? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's awesome. I love it. There you go. Yeah. So what are some of your big, like, over, over the years with the footy and the surfing, mm-hmm. what are some of the big, like, life learning lessons that you've got out of all of this? Life learning or highlights? Bit of both, then. Bit of both. Um, life learning is, oh, look, when you're travelling, I think you've got to be respectful for it doesn't matter which country you're in to the locals and that's what I've always done and um, I've never actually been in Touchwood too much trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just respecting different countries and their culture. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like, I mean, a lot of people go away and, and say they go, you know, four of them hook up and they get a house and, and hang out with all the people that they compete with. Whereas I like to, um, I like to take a bit of their their, uh, you know, because every everyone grows up differently. You know, mm. what I mean, everyone's got different cultures and and people are different. So I, I like to put a bit of time into the people of of where we come from and uh, or where they come from. Sorry, in the country that I'm travelling to, and and just to find out really, you know, and and once you do hang around them and and put a bit of time with them, then they show you a little couple of little yeah. gems that, that that not a lot of people get to see. And that's the biggest thing for me is to, um, because, you know, as I said, like, uh, I've got given an opportunity, you know, so I'm the only West Aussie that goes away and, um, and it's nice to represent where you come from properly, you know what I mean? So a lot of people sort of, you know, I think that becomes with two sort of, uh, your age as well, you know, like I'm not a young punk anymore and I probably might be different if I was young, you know what I mean? But being in older states and there, it's just sort of, you know, I mean, I'm in more of a cruising mode now as well. So just to, just to, um, just to see and, and, uh, and like there's a guy called Dwayne DeSoto who, um, and he runs the Kamakai, which is for, uh, unprivileged youth where they might come from a broken family or, you know what I mean? And just to go there and, and I got this one little girl in Tahiti and she didn't want to go into the water and she was only about three or four and she was crying and and 
yeah, just to get her and get her confidence and then get her on the water and then she didn't want to come in, you know, that, yeah. and just to know, you know, that, that sort of, you know, just to give a bit back to the local community, you know. Awesome. It was awesome, yeah. Pretty good. What, um, are there any other goals for the next three to five years? I mean, just try and get um, to 10 years of being on the comp. Mate, uh, any other goals? Not really. At this stage, I haven't. Um, no, not just to get back, or just to be a part of it. You know, like that for me is. Um, yeah, I just like to roll up and just to just to still be a part of it. Just to pull a jersey on at forty seven, still pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think I've been pretty lucky like that. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Uh, no, not really. Um, just footy highlights. Uh, once we were talking about highlights, was the Claremont um, Grand Finals. The '96 Grand oh, yeah. Final was awesome. That was huge against East Perth. That was such a good game of footy. Um, and I also played against Gary Ablett at Cardinia Park when he kicked his thousands, thousands, a thousand goals. So yeah. that was um, and mate, to me, like Ablett was the best player ever ever, ever to play the game, or one of many anyway. Yeah. So just to be there and see that, you know what I mean, and be part of it was pretty cool. Yeah. And just yeah, also just um, just when Fremantle started up, you mm. know that was that was pretty awesome time. Um, just to be an inaugural docker actually kicked the first goal ever, which was pretty cool. Did you? Yeah, up in it was the first game we ever played in yeah. in the Northern Territory, so they yeah. had a combined side. So I wasn't a Todd Ridley kicked the first official goal, but I kicked the first goal ever. So yeah. that was pretty cool. I think I only kicked, what, three? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take Kick that one. the most important one. Yeah. So that was sort of... And the footy, mate, the footy was awesome. You know, like, um, football is a big part of our country and it's just a, it's just um, pulling pulling on a jersey and going out and... Uh, yeah, mate, it was just pretty good times, you know. But... Um, but yeah, as far as surfing goals now, um, probably not to die. That would be because, <laughs> uh, as I said, not getting any younger. But um, yeah, mate, I'd just like to get. I've just started really for the first time. Started training again. I've just started getting back in the gym. Yeah. Um, because as you know, once you sort of turn forty, yeah, you you start dropping off a bit unless you, you start. It that's it. You know. Like swimming to rotto, you can't swim to rotto anymore. You gotta no, you, you gotta, gotta do the yards, yeah. So, yeah. by that, um, so just to try and get the body back up to speed. And um, one last goal, I would love to win the Rottnest comp. Um, I've never won that. Yeah, and I came second the other year. But um, yeah, that would be before I sort of retire. That would be, you know, and the reality of that again. Like we've got some pretty good kids. Uh, nationally, so um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, mate. You know, just to, for me, really, is just rolling up and still being able to pull on a jersey and be healthy, you know, and be competitive. Well, that's it, just not yeah. look like you shouldn't not be there. Yeah, you know? that's the main one. If you could go back and have a chat with Dave right at the start when he's just like about to start playing footy uh, at Claremont Colts and, and give him a piece of advice from here what would that be <laughs> what would that be like well I, as I've said for me the longevity was a big one for me um, like I'd just see the ball and just want to bulldog it you know I'd go as hard at the ball or as hard at the bloke yeah. whereas you know um, 
I think I'm probably if I actually uh, concentrated on and did a fair bit more work on my skills and just thought about the game a lot more instead of going flat out to the point where I'd just mm. blow up all the time. Um, I think that would be a part of it and probably... Uh, yeah, but I mean, you can always... You can always... There's always hindsight. You can always look back and have regrets or whatever, but um, look, at the end of the day... Uh, Bryn, I'm pretty fortunate to have been given the opportunity yeah. to play at that level. So a lot of people don't. So, I mean, I had... The good thing for me also was seeing the three different um, clubs. So the yeah. Eagles, which were premiers in 92, 94. I went there in 93. Then North Melbourne in 94, which, you know, Kerry and all the boys were there. They had... Mm. Their squad was unbelievable. Out of the 42, I think Troy Pollack. So when I rolled up, the general manager picked me up with Troy Pollack, who um, is a West Aussie, and he's actually one of my good friends these days. Uh, his brother Graham got hit by the tram. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, but uh, but yeah, he ended up coming back to play a couple of games at Richmond, so that was a really good comeback over over 12 months or something. But um, but out of that 42 that were at North Melbourne on the list, 28 of them are in coaching roles in the AFL now. Yeah. So uh, the three coaches at that time was Malthouse, uh, Pagan and Nisham. And, mate, they were all champions in their own right. Yeah. And all really successful. So to see the different... Um, that knowledge come down and then move on. Yeah, and different styles of coaching. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, like Pagan was such a, a Melbourne based coach where everything was inside footy so really quick hands yeah which you know and and, and a lot of physical body on body whereas Nation was more you know with eyes up vision up you know space. lights on create space run into space never stop second third efforts um, which you know the two styles were totally different you know yeah but um, they were both super successful coaches, and same as Malthouse, you know. But it was different again. So, and just seeing the different squads, you know, like so, uh, Eagles had won the flag in '92. I went there in '93. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then they're all, and they're all because it was a, a state side, and you had your South Fremantle boys, and you know, so everyone was sort of a bit disjointed. Yes, as well as I was a new kid, so I went there with Jared Schofield. Uh, Drew Banfield Brendan Green and myself so we were the four that year so I think the only one that got a run I think Schofield and played a few games and Banfield but Green and myself didn't um, but yeah just to go there and see that and then those boys and then go from there to North Melbourne which were all just country boys yeah. and everyone was like g'day mate everyone's really grounded Yeah, you know what I mean so, and I, I enjoyed my time at North Melbourne. They were great boys. They were really, mm. really tight-knit footy club. Um, and then coming back with Freo, you know, again, it was yeah. it was exciting because it was new. So it was all pretty, you know, I was pretty lucky to see all of that. Yeah. Yeah, even though I didn't play a lot of games, but... Still got to see it yeah, from the inside. That's it, mate. Yeah, yeah. One last question. If, um, if you could upload a one of Dave's little nuggets into everyone's collective consciousness just to make the world a better place, what would that be? Wow. To make it a better place. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Oh, look. What's um, the sort of thing where you're sitting there with a beer going, God, if everybody just got this, then life would be easy. <laughs> well, I think you just treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Really. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest one is, um, and I get, this, I get a bit fired up and upset at people because, but everyone's different, aren't they? I think um, that's the other thing. You've got to really just, just be happy with yourself and not really get too caught up in, in life and what other people, I mean, what's normal? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Who says what is normal? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, exactly. Um, you know, and I grew up sort of western suburbs and, and that sort of thing, so it's pretty pretentious around there. Um, you just got to, you know, I mean, especially if you're growing up these days, you just got to be happy with who you are and just have a crack at life, I think, you know? Yeah. When you get, the biggest thing is, if you get an opportunity, make sure you capitalise on that opportunity. Because you might only get a couple in life. Yeah. And if you miss that one, then you'll be pretty upset. Yeah. Ten years down the track. So, yeah, for me, if it pops up, grab it by both fists. Yeah. If you want it. And don't let go of it. Awesome. Hmm. David, it's been an absolute treat talking to you today. No worries. If people want to find you, where can they find you on Facebook? Uh, Yeah, I've just got... Uh, David Muir stand up paddleboarder that's my site and then on Instagram Davo underscore Muir awesome yeah that's where they'll find me yeah no it's been an absolute pleasure and, it, and it's been really insightful uh, to hear you know about the what it's like to play actual top level footy and be involved in all of that as well as what was it like to go and surf at places like Chopu where I've only ever seen it on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> Good, so there you go thanks for your no time worries. cheers Brent.